Hey, welcome to Take Tape, powered by the new Ram 1500 Sport, built exclusively for Canadians. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer at Sportsnet.ca. Joining me today, as always, Sportsnet's NHL editor, Rory Boylan. We are both people who are going to clear out of this space in a moment, so another person who's integral to this podcast can speak. Rory, it's been hard to talk about hockey the past couple months for a few reasons. First off, because it isn't happening. Uh, second, because it seemed so insignificant at times, given what's been going on in the world with a, a global pandemic. And now in the past week, we've seen racial tensions bubbling over in the United States following the killing of a black man, George Floyd, by former Minneapolis police officer, uh, Derek Chauvin. Rory, you and I were both in agreement that as much as we love hockey, and as much as we can all likely use a distraction these days, it didn't feel right to come on today and ignore what's been happening in the world around us. Yeah, I mean, you know, ever since the league and all sports leagues paused there in March due to the coronavirus pandemic, it's just been a challenge to find that balance, right, of how much entertainment do you want to provide versus, you know, how secondary hockey and sports are to what's been going on in the world. And I think over the last few months, we found a nice little balance, you know, whether we're redrafting or doing a what if redrafts to come, what ifs, whatever, whatever we've done, I think we've done a pretty good job of finding that balance. But this week is different, um, you know, as serious as the global pandemic is, there are these injustices going on in not just the United States, uh, it's in Canada as well. And it's not just in North America, it's around the world that have humanity at the core that we need to consider. It's something that does affect us all differently, but it's something that affects a certain group of minority people substantially more. And it's something that we as people can come together to change quickly, whereas the pandemic is totally unrelated, something that science and doctors have to figure out before we actually get to a conclusion with what is happening right now in the States. This is something that we can take action on right now. And so I think it's appropriate for us today to step outside of hockey and not go down that road and have this discussion on these injustices, what is happening in the world right now, um, because that is the top priority as far as I'm concerned. Well, with that in mind, what we want to do is bring in Michael Mayers. Uh, Michael is a freelance producer at Sportsnet. He's been helping on this podcast all year uh, and has been the sole producer since the pandemic started. So we're going to turn it over to you now, Michael. Thank you very much, Ryan. And uh, yeah, it's an honor to be on here with you guys. And, you know, as a black man myself, I have had a few uh, days here to digest and kind of progress with a few different types of things we can do to approach the future with in a little bit more of a uh, of a hopeful light because this is a time of hopelessness for so many people right now. Um, and so the, one of the first things I want to say that's the most important is I want to thank Barack Obama for writing a piece on medium.com that you should all check out. A lot of what I'm going to say is hinging on the crux of exactly that. And with that said, I want to reiterate an old adage. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And ultimately, it's going to be up to the new generation of activists, people that are young like myself, in order to shape strategies that best fit the zeitgeist of these times. Um, this is an information age that news travels instantaneously worldwide. And there's a few basic lessons from the past that need to be applied today if we want to see some lasting change and this not to be a whisper in the wind. So my first lesson is 
The waves of protests across the world, they represent genuine and legitimate frustration over decades-long failure to reform police practices and the broader criminal justice system as a whole, specifically in the U.S. Uh, the overwhelming majority of participants in these protests have been peaceful. They've been courageous people, responsible, and they've inspired others across the world, as we can see. Those people deserve our respect and support, not condemnation. We can look at Flint and Camden police that have understood this and stood by putting their batons in the ground and actually marching with a few people. Uh, there's a small minority, however, um, who have resorted to violence in various forms. And this is the first part that really hurts me as a black man. Whether it's out of genuine anger or mere opportunism due to riots and you can't control these crowds, you start looting. Those actions are putting innocent people at risk. And in fact, it's compounding the destruction of neighborhoods that are often already short on services and investment and detract from the larger cause. And it changes the narrative and shifts it to a place where they're going to be able to summarize your cause and have it go the wrong direction. The reason that we're getting together is not to have elderly black women like I've seen on social media. She was in tears, this elderly black woman whose only grocery store was ransacked and destroyed. And history tells us that neighborhoods like this can take a number of years to recover. So let's not let excuses for violence arise or rationalize it or even participate in it. If we want the criminal justice system and society at large to operate on a higher ethical code, we, black people, those who support our cause, the people protesting, have to model that same code that we want put in place ourselves. So hurting your neighborhoods only hurts your cause and strains your already dire living conditions. And my second lesson is I've heard some really appalling stuff suggesting that the recurrent problem of racial bias in the criminal justice system proves that only protests and direct action can bring about change and that voting and participation in electoral politics is a waste of time. And I couldn't disagree more. On the contrary, the forefathers of black rights movements actually fought for our ability to participate and enact change with our votes and not just our voices. So thinking anything otherwise goes against the very foundational rights to vote that were fought for on the backs of countless lives. It's so easy to take for granted today our ability to vote and forget the power that voting has in forging a better future. So let's rewind and say what the point of a protest is. The point of a protest is to raise public awareness and put a spotlight on injustice, hopefully making the powers that be uncomfortable in the process. In fact, historically, it's often only been in response to protests and civil disobedience that the political system has even paid attention to marginalized communities. So it truly is important to demonstrate. But eventually, aspirations have to be translated into specific laws and institutional practices. And in a democracy, that only happens when we elect government officials who are responsive to demands. So it's important to understand which levels of government impact our communities the most. When we think about politics and voting, we get caught up in the highest office in the land on the federal level. And yes, we need to fight to make sure we have a president, prime minister, Congress, House of Commons, U.S. Justice Department, etc., that actually recognize the corrosive role racism plays in our society and want to do something about it. But the elected officials who matter the most in reforming police departments and the criminal justice system work at the state and provincial and most importantly, the local levels. It's the mayors and county or township executives that appoint most police chiefs and negotiate collective bargaining agreements with police unions. It's district and state attorneys in the US that decide whether or not to investigate and ultimately charge those involved in police misconduct, all of which are elected positions.
In some places, police review boards have power to monitor police conduct as well, and they too are elected. Unfortunately, though, voter turnout is usually pitifully low at these levels, especially among young people, and that pains me. It's alarming given the direct impact these offices have on social justice issues, not to mention that these seats are often determined by a few thousand or even hundreds of votes. So what's the bottom line here? If we want to bring about real change, the choice isn't between protest and politics. We have to do both, mobilizing awareness and organizing and casting ballots to make sure we elect candidates who will act on reform. The more specific we make our demands for criminal justice and police reform, the harder it is for elected officials to offer lip service in the moment to the cause and then fall back to business as usual once protests have gone away. Various communities have specific needs for reform. Rural communities have different needs than big cities. Some places require wholesale rehabilitation, while others should make minor improvements. If we can channel our justifiable anger into peaceful, sustained, and effective action, then this moment can be a real turning point in our global village as we strive toward living up to our highest ideals. The two pillars of our society are democracy and capitalism. We vote with our dollars as well. We have to remember our money really does have a huge impact in where we invest in what we see. And this is a sports podcast, so we do want to see some action from leagues and owners that can set an example. We saw in the NBA, the All-Star Charlotte All-Star game in 2017 had to be pushed to 2019 because of archaic gender discrimination laws that were in place. I mean, the bathroom portion of this bill generated immense criticism for preventing transgender people who did not or could not alter their birth certificates from using restrooms consistent with their gender identity on their birth certificates. But when the NBA threatened to pull out, the law was changed within a couple of years. So... When big businesses get behind the movements that we have in place uh, available to the everyday person, we can see what kind of change can happen overnight in a large way. So my challenge is for all of these sports leagues, especially predominantly white leagues such as the NHL, to react to this type of demonstration, not because they have to, but because they want to, because that promotes solidarity. And ultimately, that's how we forge a better future for the upcoming generations. Thanks for that, Michael. That was incredible. Covered a lot of ground there and answered some questions that I might have had. You know, we've been struggling the last couple of days to figure out how to do this episode and, and what I can do personally, aside from putting something up on social media saying that I support this, this movement. And honestly, one thing when we were discussing how to tackle this podcast, I didn't know, like, should I ask you to have to come on and and say these things because you're an African Canadian or is that something that I should do as a white person to come out and take the initiative to be the one to speak out and support this and allow you then to say something if you wanted to but not put you on the spot every time these issues come up just because of your skin color even though that also makes you an authority on on this topic. I think one of the biggest things that we have is the hesitance to go and say something that you might end up being like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And I think that that caution is well advised. I think it's good to want to measure twice and cut once, if you will. And I honestly strongly believe that not every single voice is going to be rational, level-headed, whether they be black, white, or anything in between. Uh, to speak on these types of issues. So I think it's really important for us as black people to make ourselves available to someone 
from your disposition who might be hesitant to speak on these types of issues. And it's really important that we make ourselves approachable in dialogue for those who might not be as well-versed in these topics. And it's really important that you actually identify that there, Rory, because a lot of the times there's a desire to make this a you have no idea what I'm going through type of thing. And we close the door on understanding the concept that the other side is just trying to piece these things together. If you don't feel like you know what to say, there's places to, again, vote with your dollars and donate. There's a few places in Toronto I have listed here where if people wanted to go and uh, put their money where their mouth is, you know, Justice for Regis, that's a GoFund. These are all GoFundMes. Justice for Regis Ottawa is another one. Toronto Bail Fund. The BlackLegalActionCenter.ca is a great place to go to. Uh, Black Youth Helpline at BlackYouth.ca if you're experiencing any types of issues. These are a few places in Toronto if you wanted to go and turn to. There's some refuge there. And there's some also some places like the George Floyd Memorial Fund in the U.S. that you can uh, go to that GoFundMe. Minnesota Freedom Fund, which is a community-based nonprofit that pays criminal bail and immigration bonds for individuals who have been arrested while protesting police brutality. The Black Visions Collective, uh, which is a black, trans, and queer-led organization that is committed to dismantling systems of oppression and violence. Reclaim the Block, Campaign Zero, Unicorn Riot. There's a few different places where there are voices that we need to turn to, and we need to be cognizant of the types of people that we turn to in terms of not just getting locked into an echo chamber of anger, but also pushing past that emotion and saying, what can we do? So I really do appreciate that opportunity for me to have this kind of a platform, especially talking on a hockey podcast where a lot of people, the listenership, they might not look like me, but they might be curious as to what someone like me is thinking. So I really appreciate that platform. I hope that answers your question. I'm curious as well, Michael. I mean, you said you mentioned the example of the NBA pulling the All-Star game in Charlotte. Are you legitimately hopeful that we will see action similar to that from these big leagues as this conversation really starts to take on i think it's fair to say a different form here and as more and more voices specifically of the players in these leagues and i guess specifically the nhl in this case you know join the chorus of people who are speaking out do you think that will prompt appreciable action from leagues I think this is a very unique time. And when these leagues see this kind of global reaction to this, um, I think a lot of the times in a, the, one of the pillars of our society is capitalism, especially here in North America. And they're profit maximizing, these leagues are. And usually they'll lean on the side of what's going to not hurt the bottom line as much. And I think this is a period in time where we have to forge a new normal. The normal before is to stay out, keep your hands out of the pot, but... This isn't about partisanship. This is about human rights. This is a human rights issue. So the sooner that leagues such as the NBA, the NHL, the MLB, the NFL, if they can get involved, especially the ownership, we need to see a shift where you are the minority if you're the owner not doing something. So I'm hopeful that we can see some long-lasting change in terms of support for these causes coming down from the top, especially in sports leagues that have so much influence because money is power and power is translated to that type of influence, I'm very much hopeful that we can see something like that happen coming from a sports league 
because once they endorse that, it's a domino effect. We saw what happened in, in Charlotte where because the NBA was like that, there were a few companies that were having non-travel components to their business. And they were telling people, you can't go to North Carolina and do business right now. Your wallet is where you start getting these places to really be like, oh, this is also impacting our bottom line. It disheartens me a bit that it requires to hurt the bottom line for a few of these people to enact change. But having that change, regardless of what preempts it, that's the ultimate goal. So I'm hopeful that these leagues can see that, hey, there's power in joining with the cause and the cause not being looting and rioting, but the cause being equal rights. This is a strive for getting equal, not getting even. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can drive home. All right. Well, thank you so much for your informed and deeply personal thoughts on this matter, Michael. We're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. Hey, welcome back to Tape to Tape, Ryan and Rory with you, and Michael's mic still firmly on, and he's going to jump in here um, as we work through a, a bit of a free-flowing conversation on this topic. One thing I wanted to start with, guys, was, um, you know, we've seen in the, this is, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon, we've seen in the past couple of days a lot of NHL players make a public statement on this and in the beginning uh there was uh it, it seemed as though there were more american players speaking up uh like a ryan miller um and we saw of course evander kane a canadian player from from bc a black man from bc talk about the need for some of the white voices to join the cause here and his teammate Logan Couture was one of the first to do so, and we've seen uh, Blake Wheeler and and Sidney Crosby's foundation release uh, a statement, all striking the note of wanting to speak out against this oppression, and I think also acknowledging, you know, I, as a white person, understand that I don't fully understand everything um, that black people are going through, but I want to learn more. And I, I guess the only thing I have to say about, you know, this issue or conversation about players tweeting or the need for them to tweet and join the conversation and use their platform is I will get slightly optimistic here and say, though, I know we're not talking about in any way, shape or form a solution here. We have seen in hockey conversations that I would have thought would take a long time to shift, actually start to shift quite rapidly. And I'm thinking about something like the uh, You Can Play campaign started by the Burke family and how not that long ago, you know, some of the, the worst kind of homophobic slang you would hear in an NHL dressing room, and that would be very commonplace in an NHL dressing room. That's not the kind of thing that flies now. And a relatively short time ago, you know, guys would either not notice or, or just not say anything or not care at all if if someone said, you know, the homophobic F word. Now you'd have 10 guys who I think would stand up and say, hey, man, that's not cool. So my takeaway is it did take a long time to get here. And 
you know, if you haven't read Donovan Bennett's piece on sportsnet.ca, just um, really fantastic, honest examination, picking up on this conversation of the need for white people to speak out. Donovan is a black man who works for Sportsnet, does all kinds of things for Sportsnet. And he was making the point that, you know, you can't, athletes can't really say, well, they prefer to stick to sports because we see so many reflexively backing frontline workers or, you know, the military and things of that nature. And if you're willing to lend your voice to that, why not to, you know, missing and murdered indigenous women? And I really do think it's just a reprogramming and reprogramming brains to understand that those things require support too and just gaining a little bit of a deeper understanding of those issues and quickly realizing that it is something you can help out so much. Now that we have seen the balance start to tip, I I do think we will quickly enter into a time where it does become much more common for players who normally would have just, like Michael said in the first block, there is a tendency to just kind of put your hands up and not want to wade into anything that can be construed as controversial. This won't be seen as controversial. It'll just be seen as more of a plain right and wrong issue. Yeah. I mean, Donovan's piece was excellent. Um, you know, I, I come from a place that uh, where I grew up is not a very diverse place. It's uh, north of the city of Toronto here. Um, you know, my high school is almost all white with a few exceptions. Uh, I remember the first time I brought my wife, she's Filipino, up to a baseball tournament that I had around there. And the first thing she noticed was I'm the only person of color here. And of course, I know that, but I don't really, I don't notice it in the moment. I'm not thinking about that, but it's the first thing that she would, would noticed when we went up there for that. So, you know, I'm obviously, I'm a different person that I was, um, different life experiences since I've moved away from there. I've lived in the city for a long time, but but those kind of formative years I think make me even one more step removed from a white person who lives in a city that, you know, maybe went to a a school that uh, had a lot of minorities in it and they were brought up in in that uh, aspect. So, you know, when I was reading Donovan's piece, what stood out to me was when things like this happen, for the most part, I don't feel like my voice is proper in it because I'm not the one being... um, judged against. I'm not the one who's being persecuted here. I'm I'm not the affected party. But my takeaway from reading Donovan's piece was that's exactly the kind of voice that needs to speak up right now. Um, that's the voice that can help bring this change in. That's that's who you need to hear from because that's who you don't hear from enough uh, when these things come up. And and the reading his piece, like there are things that drove home the fact I already knew that I could never understand life seen through a black man's eyes and when he's talking about the talk that you have to give to your kids that he remembers his dad giving to him about keeping your hands at 10 and 2 on the wheel when you're getting pulled over for driving while black and things like that like when I think of the talk that's not what I think of and I can't fathom having that kind of a conversation with my kid or having my dad talk to me about those kinds of things and that those realities got spelled out for me even more where I came away from that realizing I I just I need to figure out a way to do more I need to figure out a way to better understand um this plight um 
because I, I can only go so deep. Um, and all we can do is keep getting better at that. And, and so I think it's, it's, it is important to acknowledge that you can't fully understand, but also at the same time, acknowledge that you need to educate, you need to step up. You know, I've always just assumed, well, of course, I'm on the side of the people who are being wronged here. I'm on the side of good. I'm on the right side of history. But what does that mean if you're not standing up and doing something about it? And I think that's why this feels to me like a turning point individually is that now we can do something. It's very clear that we need to do something. And now it's up to me and people like me to figure out exactly what that is going forward. It's going to be different for everybody, but it's important for everybody to figure out what that means to you and what you can do, I think. 100%. I have to agree with you wholeheartedly there, Rory. And you talk about that ability to relate. It pales in comparison to the deep impact that your voice carries in this society. Um, and I think that that's what's most important about these dialogues is, yes, the perspective may not be, I understand how you feel. Large in part, you never, you, you can't and you never will be able to. But the most important part about that discussion, however, is the fact that you say, I see your pain. And that outrages me as another human being. This is a human race that we are in, right? The color of our skin is just one of the many ways we have a, as a physical identifier, but it shouldn't, it's not indicative of anybody's intelligence or anything like that, those stereotypes that go along with it. But at the end of the day, the deep impact that a voice like yours has, that's where the responsible thing you can do is, like Ryan said before, this is a right and wrong issue, right? Being the most learned about what's going on and how some, how the other side is feeling is something that's very difficult to be able to comprehend, let alone relate to. So with that being said, the impact that you can have, it's immeasurable, right? The opposite of anxiety, which is a lot of what all of us are feeling, is action and doing something about it and saying something. You never know whose mind you're turning or whose mind you're changing because they, they only will listen to what is being said when you say it or you share that post or you repost that video because it's coming from you. Unfortunately, in this world, there's gonna be people that might say something and it could be the most poignant point ever, but because we don't want to listen to them, it won't be heard. And the most important thing we can do is have everybody say something because there's always gonna be someone to, to hear. And uh, going back to that other point you were talking about in terms of the cultural preparation for the racism that you feel, as a black son, and future a black father, that's something that I'm going to have to have a discussion and the talk, as you called it, with your loved ones. You have those conversations. Um, I remember having that conversation in my house. Um, and usually, unfortunately, these things happen coming off the heels of you being a child and experiencing it. And you're like, wait, what? Why does that person not like me? And you don't understand the higher cultural indication of what you're experiencing. And sometimes if it goes unaddressed and not talked about, you can internalize those things and say, am I lesser than? Is there something wrong with me? And that's why having these conversations obviously in the household is important, but we're having a conversation about something that is the normal in society. So how do we approach the new normal? Well, we have to have these types of conversations. If you're a, a white father with white kids, Maybe having a conversation and saying, hey, look, these are the types of things that people that don't look like you or I may have to deal with. And because for me, my biggest thing is a lack of exposure leads to you being uneasy. And when something is foreign to you, when something is alien to you, you have a hesitance to just open up your arms and say, come on in, it's all good. 
And I think that as human beings, we are hardwired to love. And hate is acquired. It's learned. It's something that is, you experience things and you use your ex past experiences to inform your future decisions when similar circumstances arise. And the sooner that we can ingratiate ourselves and understand that there are differences, we if we ignore those things, it's so easy to grow up calloused toward the privileges that different people have. I experience privilege as a black man living in Toronto. I wrote a piece about this a few years ago for school, and I was talking about me as a black man in Toronto. We might experience discrimination or racism, but it's not on the same level as some of these other places in the same country, let alone going to the US in certain districts. And I have a privilege not having to deal with that. I grew up in a school where you had every single race and creed on the earth combined because we live in Toronto, such a multicultural mosaic of different people. So I never had to deal with an extreme, thick, dense layer of a lack of acceptance because I was black. It was based on the content of my character, not the color of my skin. That in and of itself is a privilege because of the comparison of the treatment of other people that look like me in another place. And that to me is also a very important thing to factor in to all of these discussions is we experience the world through the lens that we have on, on our dispositions on who we are and how we compare to others. And unfortunately, some people streamline that through color of skin and all these different other types of things that we have as isms that are discriminatory. Yeah. So I guess the, only, the last thing that I would have to say then is uh, from a, a hockey perspective, um, and this goes for all levels, I guess, then. You know, if if we learn something from the Akeem Alou story earlier this year, early this season on on Bill Peters, it shined a light on the fact that even if you don't see it or rarely see it, uh, racism is around uh, the game of hockey. It's around all sports. Um, but I think now it's important that if you see that, if you see somebody saying or doing something that is straight up racist, that is making somebody feel uncomfortable. Don't sit by quietly anymore. Step up for that person, defend that person, stick up for them. Let the other person know that it's wrong to be doing what they're doing. It, the time to be passive on these things is gone. We have to affect this change um, ourselves. And I think that's the important thing here now is, is where you see it, where you know that you can do something positive, speak out, act, do something. Don't sit and watch it. Okay, I think we'll leave it there for this week. Thanks so much for listening to us. Uh, more importantly, for listening to Michael. I hope everyone is doing what they can to learn about what's happening in the world right now, to listen to other voices out there. And just like in a hockey game, trying to do all these little things right so they can add up to something big. Everyone take care, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week.